So this was a $1.2 million purchase. Um, we did a, a straight 70-30 split on it uh, with 30% being my portion, 70% going to the investors. Um, they get quarterly returns. Bought it at 1.2 right now. We're hitting probably year three projections uh, as far as the income. Hey, how's it going? My name is Dan Wynn and welcome to the Financial Freedom Journal. Today we have a very special guest, a former Marine, uh, Jason Stubblefield, and he is just crushing the game right now. He is syndicating apartment deals, so he's, he's pulling together money and buying larger apartment complexes. So he's gonna walk us through his journey towards financial freedom and how he is sitting at just north of 80 units right now. Make sure to reach out to him after the video. He's gonna drop his contact information there. You can give out his phone number for those of you who are interested in possibly syndicating in deals and investing with his group. My name is Jason Stubblefield. I um, I got into real estate through, um, really was a process. So just my background is I started off as a Marine right out of high school. After that, I went to college, um, got a degree in computer science, started developing software for um, the government of the Washington, D.C. area. And then that led me to start investing. So started investing in single family. After I did that, you know, one, two, three homes, I looked to do something else. So I started um, looking for investments and that kind of led me into the multifamily. And now I sit at about two complexes in the South. You're, are you still living in DC right now? I am. Nice, nice, nice. So started off in uh, the Marine Corps, old devil dog. Uh, what'd you do in the Marine Corps? Yeah, so I was administrative. Okay. Okay, doing like a, like AG, like the adjutant general? Exactly, yep. So I was, um, my duty station was actually here in the D.C. area. So a lot of support officers, uh, <clears throat> generals, et cetera. A lot of salutes. It's a lot of brass, a lot of birds and stars then. Yep, definitely. That's cool, that's cool. So got out, went to IT, and then you started transitioning to real estate. How did, how did that happen? Like where, where did that come from? I mean, IT, real estate. Yep. So I started with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and that book kind of got my mind to thinking. And I said, all right, I need some rental property now. So that's what I look to do. Um, started out in single family. I did a few of those. And at, at some point, it just sort of progressed. Right. So um, I ended up getting married, having some kids. And so I had this delay, this gap. And then once I started to come back into uh, look for real estate, that's when things had kind of changed. The market has shifted a little bit and it was kind of harder to find deals. But around, as a what, what time was that? Like what time frame, like year wise? Yeah. So um, I guess I first started buying in 2009. Okay. It uh, was a great time to, to be looking at property in this area. And then I, I purchased properties up until 2013. And then in 2013, that's when things kind of slowed down for me. And I had probably a uh, four year span where I didn't really do much. Uh, well, maybe a three year span where I didn't do much. And then uh, it took me a year to actually get into my next property once I got back active. Okay. So 
2009 2013 was like golden that was like uh every i think what the bottom of the market was right around 2010 2011-ish i think so you, you could have bought anything if it are right. <laughs> just buy something yeah that's great man so um so take us back to uh the first the first deal uh what did that look like and how did that kind of change your mind i know you said you you got some influence from rich dad poor dad and kind of change your thought process a little bit but um what was that like for you? I know for most people, like their first deals, they're most traumatic. They learn their, you know, they learn their, their selves and how they like to do things. Um, what, what are some things, how did that go? And what are some things you learned there? Sure. So at that time, it was very hard to find deals. So I was a first time home buyer looking to find a property that cash flow. And my, um, my goal was to find a property that I could house hack because living in the DC area was very expensive. And I was doing that. I was renting out a basement from somebody else. And, you know, I thought about that. I was like, wow, this guy's doing pretty well that I'm paying him and some other roommates are paying him. And so I wanted to do the same thing in, in a townhouse. So I was looking for that type of property that would cash flow. In 2009 was a great time to buy, but it was investor heavy. So especially in the D.C. area, every it seemed like every investor, every property that made sense was getting 10, 12, 20 bids on it, all cash offers. And so as a first time home buyer, you know, I'm scared. I want to do an inspection. I want to get a good price. And, you know, I wasn't finding any deals because they're like, hey, we have, you know, we've got five offers in all cash full price. Right, we don't got time for that inspection stuff, do you? Yeah, yeah. So, so that was very challenging for me. Uh, it probably took me, it, it was probably like 2008 when I actually started looking to purchase a property. It just took me so long to find one that worked. But, um, but anyways, I, I did buy that, just worked with a residential broker, and I house hacked it. Uh, so it was a pretty good deal. I think all in my mortgage was somewhere around a thousand dollars and I was able to rent one bedroom. I had three bedrooms, but I only rented one uh, for $600 a month. So that had my expenses, you know, $400 rent in this area was awesome. Nice, man. So you're winning, dude. So uh, you mentioned house hack a couple of times, like for anyone out there that's listening that doesn't know what house hacking is, can you, can you kind of elaborate on that? Yes. So that is where you purchase a home, a residential home, and then you, sublet it out to other tenants. So you, you buy a two bedroom and you lease that other bedroom out to someone else, which is a great way to get started because it cuts your living expenses down dramatically. Big time, big time. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great uh, way for any first time, um, first time investor to get started. Just like you said, you can live in the property, you can manage it, and then you can get some experience managing tenants and seeing what that's like as well. So I think that's great. So fast forward a little bit longer, I guess we're talking like 2013, 2014 timeframe when you started to get into syndication. Um, and for those, that, for those that don't know syndication, maybe you can elaborate on that a, a little bit as well. Um, but what did that first syndicated deal or that first, that first, first commercial unit, what did that first commercial deal look like? Um, it looked like a scary movie. <laughs> That's what it was like, right? Um, but but yeah, so so the fast forward the, the journey was okay, I bought it at a good time. I've had a few houses 
And I didn't even know this, but I could use the equity within the houses I had to go buy more real estate. So that's what I, I was looking to do. So I created a spreadsheet, had a calculator, started analyzing properties down in Tennessee that I could buy and, you know, be able to pay off my, my equity line of credit as well as be able to make cash flow from. As I started analyzing deals, I realized that, hey, you know, this, this duplex works out better than the single family. And then the fourplexes worked out better than the duplexes. So I, I saw scale just with the numbers, just looking at the numbers. Um, with that, you know, heard some podcasts, kind of got into the multifamily thing, and I was like, hey, this seems appealing. And grabbed some books, reached out to some people, joined some courses, and my first deal was a 34-unit apartment complex down in Tennessee. Ooh, your first deal, the first commercial, yeah, first deal, 30, commercial deal. Well, yeah, first commercial deal, 34 units. I mean, that, that's that I could see how that could be scary when I've been trying to do a commercial deal and I'm talking about like six units, you know, seven units, eight units thing. You're out here doing 34 units. Dude. That's huge. So what, what was that? What was that like? What did the numbers look like? Like how did, how did you go about doing that and things? I know you said you took out the home equity line of credit and that I'm assuming that funded at least a down payment, but yeah. So th this property um, was distressed. Uh, extremely distressed so it was about 50 percent vacant Oof. and it had a lot of deferred maintenance needed a ton of work but i was attracted to it because once i saw the numbers and started talking to the agent about this um i realized that the property supported itself off of the 50 percent so it was doing well enough where all the bills were getting paid you know, with just 50%. So I saw a lot of upside in, in the other half of the building. So that was my plan was to buy this property, renovate it, and then be able to refinance my money out of it after renovating this other portion uh, of the building. So the, uh, with that, I didn't, I didn't have all the money that was necessary. So I did just about everything in the book. I mean, I started off, I got a little bit of seller financing. I used uh, some of my own money with it. Later on, I ended up pulling money out of my 401k to put into this property. I ended up doing a, a second fi refinancing. So everything didn't just work out, but- Taking all the risks. Yeah, I had no idea. It just happened kind of um, step by step. Okay, so for so it was a 34 unit, right? Was it because um, you said half the building was occupied and half the building wasn't? So we're talking about an attached one attached unit. We're we talking about like 17 units here, 17 units there type deal. Yeah, so so all the units are under one roof. Okay, that is good, but just scattered. So what I think happened is as um, the owner didn't have money, so something would happen, a leak would happen. Um, a unit would, would just go down and the owner would just lock the door and not, not ever go back in there. So you would find some of these units just end up being storage. Um, it was honestly probably the worst way you could run a property, but you would see units where there was just, you know, old tenants trash is just sitting in this unit and, you know, it's not doing anything with it. Man. All right, so you went in and got your hands dirty and like, uh, so what did that process look like? Did you hire a contractor? Did you try to do most of the work yourself? Like, um, cause I mean, 
from what it sounds like with a lot of down units that there's a lot of trash and a lot of storage i mean that that takes some some manpower and some people to like move all that stuff and clean it up and get it ready so i mean what did, what did the renovation process look like yeah that was that was a moving target as well so um first time doing a renovation project like that and i got the idea of just starting off with three contractors that wasn't the my initial plan but i had one contractor i'm like this guy is slow right it's going to take him a while so then i was like well how can i duplicate this or you know make it go faster so i end up hiring other contractors so i was given each set of contractors units to turn and then i would see who would you know stick the budget who would do it on time who had the best turn and then they would get the majority of the work see that is a that is a great lesson uh for anyone else that's out there trying to uh doing larger deals or really even, even smaller deals you're basically having the contractors uh kind of work against themselves or work you know, I, I guess compete against each other. So um, one, you're getting the work done faster, but then two, I'm assuming um, you can see what contracts are better for you to use for your next deal. Um, so I wonder, did you use some of those, like the better contractors at least for your, for your next deal as well? No. Okay. No, all those, it, it, was, it wasn't in the same area. Okay. Okay. Next deal wasn't in the same area. So. Okay. So when it all, when it was all said and done, I know you took massive risk, like massive, massive risk. And I mean, sometimes that's necessary for, you know, for the payoff. Uh, right now, as it sit, what does the property look like now? And, and was, did it pay off? Was it a payoff for you? Yeah. So right now, this, um, we refinanced this property in December. So the second refinance. And so at, at that point, that's when I got all my money back out and then some, and then I, I still keep the property and the cash flow and everything. Dude, that's awesome, man. What, what's the, if you don't mind, like, would you mind sharing some of the numbers? Like just rough numbers, all right, bought it for this, put this amount into it, refi for this, cash flows this. Yes, yep. So I bought it, I believe the, the sales price was right around 325000 which is ridiculously low, right? But forty-four units, that's crazy. <laughs> yes. But these are these are all one bedroom studios distress. So it was it was worth about that much. Uh, and then my latest refi was a little over eight hundred thousand. And so I, I put I put probably probably somewhere around two hundred grand into it. Man, so you just made a killing, dude, like that's about 300 G's that you made. Like you, you pretty much, well, you made all your money back. That's off the refi or you, or you said it appraised for uh praise for 800. Yeah. The, the appraisal. Yeah. The appraisal, the appraisal came in at, at, at a little over eight and then refi. So, so I got, I did decent. It wasn't great, but I, I definitely got all my money back out and, and some on top of that. That's excellent, man. That's excellent. I mean, that's, I guess what it's all about. Cause at the end of the day, you have no more money in that asset, but you're also, but you're able to cash flow every single month off of it. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's like infinite return on investment, which is, which is the goal. I mean, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So moving on again to, so that, that you said that took about a year or so from, from start to finish. Um, I just did the final refinance in December. So, so the property, even though we've still been 
turning units, it's still been cash flowing. So it was it was profitable throughout that whole process. But what was happening is uh, units needed to be turned. So the tenant base that was there left. A lot of them started abandoning and leaving once they saw some of the things that we were doing. So we ended up having to renovate more units than was initially planned. Right. And so that's what left me in that situation where I'm like, okay, I had money to renovate, you know, I think it was about maybe eight units that I initially planned. Hey, if I, if I renovate eight units, that'll have this property stabilized. I'll then refinance it at my new value, pull all my money back out and things will be great. That was the plan. But when going into that, the tenant base that was there actually ended up leaving. So I ended up chasing a moving target. Why do you think they did that? I mean, I, I would just assume if I was a tenant, I was living in a distressed area. As long as you weren't raising rents like dramatically, then I mean, I would love to have somewhere around me, you know, being improved. What, what do you think the, the reason for that was? Um, it was due to me just being naive, but, but gaining knowledge in the business, it's fairly common that once you come in, you start regulating, uh, putting in processes, telling people that, you know, that lease you signed that said rent is due on the first, I actually want to get rent on the first. But once you start enforcing that, <laughs> then you, you see that people, uh, uh, people change. They don't like it. They see that things are changing it, and they just go. This guy's crazy. He actually wants to rent on time. He actually wants yeah, to yeah, you know, who would have thought? <laughs> That's crazy. Hey, so I don't think I asked you, how did you find this deal? So it was on, uh, it was online. It was a residential agent had it. So yeah, it was, it was a weird deal, but you know, it was one of those things where it's just like somebody who knows somebody and Hey, I, I want to sell. Huh? You think it was like, was it, um, the buyer just, I'm assuming like somebody that's this old is kind of like not taking care of the property or was it somebody that was just trying, literally just trying to get rid of it? No, it was a, um, the, the owner wasn't old at all. It was actually probably around my age. Um, it's just, it really shows you the beauty of real estate because as poorly as he ran this property, he still made money. It was just a different strategy. This owner bought this property and he had a 10 year loan on it. That was his thing. So that's why he didn't have capital to fix anything because he was paying off this property so aggressively that all his cash flow had to go to his loan. Mm. And that was, that was his plan. Just keep it for 10 years and then, you know, be able to have the tents build that revenue base for him. But I'm assuming he didn't make it to 10 years. Um, I want to say he had it around that around that time. It was close. So he, he, he wasn't free and clear, but he was close to free. Okay. So you bought this 34 unit around 300,000, put a couple thousand, a couple hundred thousand into it, uh, turned, turned over tenants the entire time, stayed profitable the entire time, and then appraised at 800. So you did a, then you did a final refi, got all your money back. Um, that is, that is phenomenal. That's what they, what a lot of people say, the burst strategy, you know, buy it, renovate it, refinance it, or rent it out, refinance it, and then repeat it. Uh, you just did it on a much larger scale, which is so fascinating, man. That's, that's really, really cool. A lot of people can't, um, well, a lot of people don't uh, see themselves uh, 
leveling up like that or scaling uh, like that. So that's really, really cool, man. It's really, really cool. So the beauty of multifamily, you know, it, it's one of the limitations of single family is just you don't have the um, the runway that you do, right? Because single family, it's the property is going to be valued based on what your neighbor's property is valued at. Whereas in commercial world, you can take it to whatever you can make the, the revenue, net operating income perform at. So it really made that deal make a lot of sense, given the risk. Yeah, man, that's that's awesome. So, so fast forwarding again. Um, now you're get, now you're into syndication, uh, syndicating. Now you're syndicating actual deals, larger deals as well. So, um, what did the first deal? What did the first deal you syndicated uh, look like, and how how was that shift? Because we're we're going from talking about only you doing something to now you're getting larger groups involved or other people's money involved into it. So what did that? What was that like for you uh, mentally? And then what was that like for you? Just like, what was the process like for you? Yeah. So so just to give you my state of mind, I was at some point in this thirty four unit. I got a little bored, right? Uh, got we had <laughs> got bored. Thirty four tenants. <laughs> There wasn't much for me to do, right? Yeah. At, at some point, we kind of had the management process down. They were turning units, and so I just wasn't doing much anymore. And so with that, I was thinking about the refinance and, you know, executing the business strategy. But I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to wait another 9, 10, 12 months until this thing turns around. So I reached out to some, to some people in my network, and it was like, well, it's better for you to go be a partner on a deal than to just, you know, not do a deal. So that's what got my wheels turning. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do another deal. I look, I'm out of money now. All my money is, is sunk into this, this project. So I'm going to have to raise money. And that's when I started looking for educational programs that, you know, to try to learn how to do that. Uh, I found some, I joined it. And then that's, that's after I got the knowledge of, then I progressed to like, okay, let me go look for another deal. Okay. Okay. So once you started, uh, once you realized that, you know, you couldn't, you weren't able to do it on your own, you figured, Hey, let me go seek out some knowledge, seek out how to do it. And then we start raising capital at that point. Um, so what did it look like when you actually start? Like, so what was the process to actually raising the capital? like raising the capital and then locating the deal. I know you said you went through your network to do it, but um, how was that like? Was that a pretty easy transition or was it pretty difficult? Um, it was difficult <laughs> because, because again, you just don't know what you don't know. And so, um, you know, I heard, I, I listened to a lot of podcasts. People always say, Hey, you know, if you find a great deal, then, uh, the money will come. And I, I kind of just had that in the back of my head. I have some experience now, at least commercial. I know the mistakes that I made. So um, I definitely don't want to make any of those mistakes. And so I have a, a, a coach with me as well. So um, it was more difficult because it was a game changer when it's not your money. And what I did is I reached out to my network of brokers and just kind of told them, hey, I have 34 units. I'm looking for more more units in this area. If you have any deals, let me know. So a broker sends me a package. I run the numbers. It makes sense. And I pursue it. Um, that kind of happened really fast. 
and I didn't spend a lot of time working on the business of, of networking with other investors, growing in my own investor base. So I had this deal and I needed to, to fund it, but I didn't really have investors with me. You're scrambling, are you? Just... Yeah, yeah, yep, exactly. So, so it started off, uh, the process, it started off great. You know, I had some big investors right away. Um, for this, uh, you know, it was fairly small. I was looking for maybe half a million dollars was what I needed. Um, I had investors start off, you know, taking a, a pretty big chunk of that. And then um, as we got closer to closing, those investors backed out. So I ended up having a shortage there. And at this point, my network is, is kind of tapped out, right? Yeah. Most of the people I know are poor. So, so I, I don't have, you know, anybody to, to go to and say, hey, you know, you want to come? Need drop half, I need a cool half meal real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that wasn't happening at all. So, so it, it left me in, in um, a lot of stress, right? I, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, so that led me to reach out to other people. And I, I had no idea that there were people who access what they look to do. They partner uh, to help raise money on deals. And so after a lot of stress, a lot of sleepless nights um, and doing ex extensions on getting this property closed, uh, we were able to get the money in and get it closed. And that was number two. So you said you got, you had the money and then they backed out. What was that time frame before between, you know, them backing out and um and you getting the deal together? Was it like I mean, I, I you had to be freaking out like if somebody comes in with a, with a chunk of money and then they just back out out of nowhere. I mean, yeah. So so the way it works in syndication is you have a soft commit, soft reserve, which is nothing more than than somebody saying that hey, I'm in. But the money isn't in the bank, so until it's actually in the bank, they're not in. Yeah. Um, and so the, the timeline was the timeline was maybe a week and a half before I was supposed to close. Oof. That I was like, okay, I really need to get these funds in in order for me to be able to close this deal. And then we got closer and closer and it just started I started to realize this probably isn't gonna happen with being able to get, you know, to pull this deal together and get all the money I needed. So that left me with a shortage. But then you got together though. You went re reach into the reserves and then and then and then pulled it off. Yeah. So so Hail Mary. What, what happens in that scenario is um, you go about renegotiating. You have to pay money, actually. You know, you say, hey, I need more time on this deal. Let me put up X amount of dollars and let's extend this for 30 days. Yeah. Right. And then you, you bought yourself another timeline. But this money is hard. So um, if you're not familiar with that, hard money is money that you don't get back. Yeah. Either you buy the deal or they walk away with this with this money that you put into the deal. That's the way it goes. Um, so with that, I put up more money that was at risk. Uh, but I felt good that the deal was awesome. Right. And that's one thing that I think to get in this business, you really have to understand because it requires that level of effort and commitment. 
if I didn't think the deal was good, I'll say just cut my losses, lose only this amount of money and walk away. Right. And, but instead I end up putting up additional money and saying, okay, I know this deal is good. I just got to find the money from somewhere. You found it, you got together and, uh, and what's it looking like now? Would you mind sharing some of the numbers with that? Like just bought it for this or syndicated with this. Um, I'm assuming you get a, um, uh, you usually get a fee for syndicating, uh, for putting the deal together. Um, yeah. and, um, then what you're giving to your, your investors, like percentage returns to your investors. Um, yeah. what, what does that look like? Yep. So this was a $1.2 million purchase. Um, we did a, a straight 70, 30 split on it, uh, with 30% being my portion, 70% going to the investors. Um, they get quarterly returns, bought it at 1.2. Right now we're hitting probably year three projections, uh, as far as the income. So, um, I don't want to say right now, but it's, but it's going well What the plan is it's going very well. And, and the, the deal is moving along. So we, we were talking like a 34 unit, another 34 unit, another, uh, uh this was a 48 unit. Okay. So 48 units, uh, mainly like one, one studios again, or are we talking two ones, different layouts? No, this is one, twos and threes. Nice, nice, nice. You got a variety here and, uh, that's, that's good, man. All right. So, and you guys aren't, you're probably, I'm assuming you're not going to appraise it for what, two to three years. It is, I'm assuming it's stabilized right now. Yes. Right. Yeah. So this was a completely different property than the first one. So this was day one stabilized. Um, we just saw that there was a lot of room to increase the rents with doing a rehab to the units. Okay. So you're trying to room it. Are you, were you turning units like as tenants moved out, you turn that unit, tenant move out, turn that unit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What is your, uh, what does your property management look like in a situation like that? I mean, when you're, you know, I'm, I've only done smaller multifamilies and, you know, I can usually work around like seven to 8%, um, that property management is taken away, uh, to manage a property and, you know, their fees basically, what does it look like with a larger unit like that? Uh, you're talking about the fee. Yeah. The property management fee. Yeah. So the larger your property, the smaller the fee. So, um, on this property, I'm at four and a half percent with, um, property management fee. And we've got a couple of part-time employees. Nice. 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 Okay. So what's your, what's your strategy for this one? Yeah. So I, I like to buy and hold. So ideally if every property works out the way I like it, I would do the same thing I did with the first property where I pull all the equity out and stay on it and collect passive, uh, cash flow. So that, that's the projection with this one. Um, I think initially I, I modeled it out as a sale in five years, but I think that the, the numbers will be good enough that we'll be able to pull out all the equity that was put into it and still be able to keep it. So at any point, um, I know some, some uh, syndicators talk about uh, refinancing after three to five years, whatever their projection is, right? refinance it, pay off all the investors, and then now they keep the asset within for their business and they're basically cash flowing 100%. Um, is that the type of strategy that you're talking about? Or are you talking about, because you talk about pulling out equity, um, are you talking about- right. right, no, this being my first syndication, I didn't want to do anything that, that may put me in a compromised position, right? Well, not really a compromised position, but just, I didn't want to be greedy. So we did 70-30 on this and I just, 
ride it all the way out. So if my investors, if we perform like I believe we will, then my investors will still continue to get uh, checks even after they got all the capital back. That's great, man. That's 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 the best type of income there is, and you have no money. Love, man. free money, man. That's great. Yeah. That's a super passive income. That's excellent. Okay, so what's the what's the goal now? And I heard you're. I think you mentioned a couple of times you were uh, you're looking at some new units. So uh, what's what's on the what is on the uh, horizon for you? Um, it's, it's really, really looking to go, go bigger. And with doing that, I realized that I have to, I have to have more systems in place, more processes, uh, because being a small business, uh, once you get to managing property and dealing with investors and, and, uh, investor relations with the communications on the current syndication, as well as trying to draw in new investors, it's just a lot for you to do. As one person so I've been trying to, to build the business up and look to acquire larger assets okay so how are you what systems and processes are you lacking right now that you're looking to uh, implement that's going to help you grow your business to the scale that, that yeah so so one system will just be um, a, a funnel of, of having people recognize who I am and what I do okay. right so so that's one system, right? Marketing, people, marketing, basically? Yeah, it's basically, that's what it is. It's marketing to investor base. So you have a larger investor pool to draw off of when you get a next deal. Um, it's also coming up with the, the management process of the investors, right? So once you have a pool of investors, you know, you need to communicate with them and let them know how your investment is going. You need to uh, issue payments to them answer phone calls, et cetera. So putting that system together as well as a funnel of acquiring new, new acquisitions. Are we talking um, virtual assistants? I'm assuming you, you might be using those already. So I'm a virtual assistants and yeah. Yeah. Phone calls. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, dude, that's awesome, man. Like that, that's just great dude to see, uh, you know, see someone. So like you're, when people think of the typical real estate investor, especially at the scale that you're doing right now, you're talking 34 units, you're talking about even growing larger, 100 units, 200 units, um, see someone your age doing, you, you just don't fit the, the description or I guess mental picture that most people would think of um, when, uh, when, they talk about, when they talk about investing. Um, I think that's awesome, dude. That's, I think that's amazing uh, for you to be, so, for you to be so young and still, uh, still in the game uh, and understanding the game. And then you, you also have a full-time job too, right? Right. So, I mean, that's, and a family, you know, you got some kids, you got wife and kids. I mean, so for anyone out there listening that has, you know, family and kids, they're working full-time job, you know, uh, there's your inspiration right here, man. Like it can be, it can definitely be done. Um, so that's just, that's awesome. So what are some of the things that, that you would, con if you had to contribute some of your success, right, uh, to, to something or to a few things, uh, what would they be? What are some things that really, really helped you um, along in the process? Um, I would probably say persistence okay. and um, self-determination, right? Just, just having the belief in myself that I can't get it done and then using that as a catalyst to say, all right, I'm now going to go do this no matter what. Okay. So 
if you had to give some advice to any investors, any like first time investors or, you know, investors like myself who are, who are trying to, or who are building up to getting to uh, where you're at, starting to syndicate deals, get larger commercial units. Uh, what, what are some of the things that, uh, that you would tell them? Sure. First, I would say that uh, to decide um, in that period that I mentioned earlier where I didn't do much or the year where it took me to get into my next deal after break, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was looking at everything, shiny object syndrome, whatever you want to call it. But if you can decide on one thing that you're going to do and just have that be your primary focus, that will help you immensely. And then you just start putting the pieces of the puzzle together around that. So once you find out what you want to do, surround yourself with people who are doing it and you'll start to fill in the, the parts that you're missing and gaining the knowledge that you need to go forward. I think that's some good advice. I think that's some really, really good advice. Um, just one last question, I guess. So what are some of the, what are some of the books that you're reading right now? What are the things that, um, are you, are you only reading uh, real estate books about syndication? Like some, what are some of your favorite books? Um, yeah. So right now I'm reading Napoleon Hill, um, the laws of success. Okay. So most people, when you hear Napoleon Hill, they go with think and grow rich. Think and grow rich is, is actually a condensed version of this 16 course, uh, of information that Napoleon Hill put together. Very interesting guy. So laws of success is like they can grow rich on steroids. It really takes all those principles and brings them out. It's a it's a bulky book to get through, but it's got a ton of, of insight into it. Really? All right. All right. Well, I'll definitely have to look that one up because I I know uh, outwitting the devil the devil and then also um, I like that one too. Yeah. And then also thinking grow rich, of course. So I've read both of those, but I have not read. You said laws of success. Yep. Yeah, I've not read that, so I will we'll be picking that up. Thank you for that nugget. Um, for uh, so, I mean, I guess that's that's pretty much the only question that I had uh, for you for you there. Is there anything else that you like to talk about, or anything else um, that any words of wisdom you want to give out? No, no, I'm just I'm just learning. You know, I'm nothing special at all. I I even found a little a little, this isn't normal for me to, to sit around and talk about myself. It's awkward, you know, but. You got this so, marketing right here. This is marketing. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not a natural at it at all. But, but I do, uh, I do appreciate you for this platform. Um, definitely for your service to the, to the country, man. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks, thanks for putting this together. Oh, thank you. Hey, so where can we, where can anyone listening reach you at? How can we get in contact if you want to, or we can find, where, where can we find more out about you? Sure. So my website is snscapitalpartners.com. And then you can email me at jason at snscapitalpartners.com. Do you do that? And also I'll get my phone number because I'm, you know, I'm available, accessible. So if anybody wants to reach out and talk, uh, 571-409-1525. Hey, for you guys listening out there, that's extremely rare for uh, for an investor to give give out their phone number. So that's really really cool. Definitely uh, link up with uh, Jason Stubblefield and 
uh, link them up SNS. All your all the information will be down below in the show notes, so we'll make sure we have that there. If you're if you're still cool with putting your phone number there, I'll put it there. But uh, if you get too many rings, you know, I'll, <laughs> just let me know and I'll take it down. <laughs> Go for it, man. We'll edit that out. But, uh, but uh, yeah, dude, thanks so much for coming on. Um, we'll get you get you on the show. Our Go ahead and publish this for all the uh, all the subscribers. I'm, I know they would love to hear it, um, especially for for those that are trying to syndicate and get to uh, the level that you're at right now. So I wish you all the success in the world. Um, I know you're gonna you're gonna do do greater things and keep continuing to scale and continue to improve on those systems and processes. And hopefully, uh, we'll be hearing uh, we'll we'll see you up on like the next uh, Grant Cardone freaking growth conference or something, you know, they'll be saying Jason Stubblefield. <laughs> yeah, with my jet. I'm coming out of jet. <laughs>